In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The very sad story of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah seems like an odd text to read when we're celebrating Christmas in July. But if you'll stay with me a few minutes, I think you may see how appropriate it is. Actually, this is a story that it's very uncomfortable. I, I remember a few political seasons ago when there was an allegation by um, a, a younger female against a senior government employer that he had made advances to her. It was all over the news and we're out there just trying to sort it all out. He said, she said. Then my mom was sitting across the kitchen table with me and she just broke down in tears because it reminded her of an incident when she was a little girl. Her dad was a head sharecropper in Mississippi on a big farm. And one day, one of the workers came into the kitchen where my mom was as a girl alone and started to come on to her. And it was, as she told the story, she was shaking and in tears. And it was amazing that decades later, that reality had such a grip on her. I don't know how many people walk into this room today with a similar story on maybe the wrong side of that story or maybe the, the victim side or the potential victim side of that, of that story and hear the story of David's vile behavior with Bathsheba and then Uriah and find yourself shaking. Uh, it would be more comfortable just to ignore a story like that except, except it's a clear message that the answer to David came, the better son, the one whose story we recall in today's gospel account of Jesus feeding the 5,000, walking on the water and refusing to be made king on other people's terms. So let me, let me hit the highlights of three, three places where David runs afoul of his mission and what God says, this is a man after my own heart. 2 Samuel 11 talks about a man who is not after the Lord's own heart. It's as though he were trying to prove the truth of the psalm we read today, Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I don't have to factor him in. There's none who does, there's none righteous. No, not one. David's like trying to prove that. And in proving that, he proves the need that we have for his greater son, Jesus, to come along a thousand years later. Without trying to untangle all the, all the details, here are three ways that David messes up. In the, with Bathsheba, David uses this woman to satisfy his own desires. Secondly, with Uriah, David manipulates the circumstances to try to cover his adultery, commits murder, and tries to save his own ego and save his own hide. 
not exactly a man after God's own heart. And third, just in general, David badly abuses his role as king. The king is supposed to be the one who stands for God's law who enforces God's character and calls people as their shepherd along with him to obey God's word. But instead, he violates in this story the last five of the Ten Commandments. He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He steals from Uriah. He bears false witness. He sets up a false tableau about how how the, the battle is to be won that gets Uriah killed. And, of course, he covets. It all begins with his coveting his, his, um, his neighbor's wife. Well, praise God that there's more to the story. Come back next week. And we'll hear about what happens when David realizes what a monster he is. But today, we're just supposed to get a picture of what a monster he has become so that we can appreciate the wonder and the glory of the anti-David, his greater son, Jesus, that we hear about in John 6. You'll recall that in the garden of temptation, I'm sorry, in the desert of temptation, Jesus is challenged. Use your powers to satisfy your own desires. Turn the stone into bread. And Jesus says, no. In the story today, Jesus changes bread into nourishment for 5,000 and two fish into nourishment for 5,000. David's greater son, the anti-David, comes not to satisfy his own needs and own desires, but to satisfy the hunger of other people. And in the next few weeks, as we read through John 6, we'll see Jesus explaining what it is for him to be the bread of life and for him to offer week by week the bread of life as we gather. In the desert of temptation, Satan challenges Jesus, use your powers to test God. And let's just see if you're really, if you're really who you say you are. It's like Lex, Lex Luthor challenging Superman, jump off the skyscraper and see if you really can fly. And Jesus says, no, I've not been given these powers to that end. And in John chapter 6, we see why he has been given the powers that he has been given. And so in John's version of Jesus walking on the water, we're not dazzled by the fact that he, the winds and the waves obey him, which is what the synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke point out. All we're told here is that he comes to the disciples. They are afraid. They're afraid they're going under. And he says, I am. That's what the Lord God, Jehovah, calls himself. Jesus calls himself that. I am. Do not be terrified. And the next thing you know, they've gotten to their destination. Jesus doesn't use his powers to show off. 
He uses his powers to come alongside people who are scared. He uses his powers to come alongside people like my mom who are afraid that they might be manipulated or anybody in this room who has opened themselves up to people in authority and find themselves to be used and abused and cast aside. No, the great I am comes not to manipulate things to cover his own adultery. He comes to offer hope and consolation and to be a friend to those who are afraid. And if this day finds you lonely and afraid that you may go under, feeling dirty because somebody has used you. Know that David's greater son has come to care for you, to come alongside you. He will not manipulate things to murder you. He may allow pain into your life. He may even call you to martyrdom for him. He may call you to give up your fortune as well as your life for him. But he will be with you. And anything he asks you to do, it will be, it will be to the praise and honor and glory of our great God and Father, and it will in the long run be to your own glory and your honor and your praise. Third, you'll recall that in the, in the desert of temptation, the devil says, look, bow down to me, worship me, and I will give you all the power and the glory of all the kingdoms. They're mine to give to you. Well, he's a liar in the first place. But second, Jesus says, no, you will worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall worship. I, I'm going to be king. I made it all and I'm going to inherit it all because of what I'm going to do. And it's not, devil, going to be on your terms. And so when the, in, in John's gospel, when the people see that he is a miracle worker, they want to make him king. And he says, no, we're not going to do it that way. I'm not going to be just another king like David who gets power so that I can use and abuse and manipulate. No, I'm going to be a king on different terms. I won't be the tool of people who want to recreate a glorious past that they have romanticized. And I will not be the mascot of people who envision a great and glorious future for themselves at other people's expense. No. Here's the kind of king I'm going to be. I'm going to mount a throne of my own making. And I will have my arms stretched out. And on my throne... I will bear the consequences of every murderer, every adulterer, every liar, every stealer, every coveter who has ever lived who will bow the knee to me. And on that same cross, I will bear, I will bear the pain and the hurt and the anguish and I will shed the tears of everyone who has been murdered, everyone who has been, who has had 
adultery committed against them, everyone who has been lied about, everybody who has been schemed about, everybody who has been envied and had their, their goods and everything about them coveted by other people. I will bear it all and that is the kind of king that I will be and I will rise from the dead and I will dwell in your heart and I will rule there kindly and graciously and in love for your good. Friends, I think just a couple of few takeaways. One is, if you have been used and abused, if you're a user and an abuser, you need Jesus to be your king in his way to be the, the I am who comes to you in the midst of your storm and promises to get you to the other side. If you need help either accepting him in the first place or cementing your relationship with him, whether by having somebody just pray with you for help or even doing a confession, right of reconciliation. We're here for that. Just meet with Rose Satbacks in, uh, back in the ambulatory at the Resurrection Chapel and we'll set something up. Just speak to me briefly in the, in the um, breezeway after the service and we'll set something up. But then for, for, for all of us, finally, for all of us who have gone through the baptismal waters and all of us, who feed on Jesus and drink his blood week after week, know that we are called to be a different and a special kind of people. Cyril of Jerusalem in the fourth century said, those of us who've been baptized and who partake of the bread and the wine, who take Jesus into ourselves, we become little Christs. We become Christ bearers. We become little heavens. And in a world that is upside down and topsy-turvy, where people live in fear of being hurt, where people, where other people are predators, and where people don't know right from wrong, and are in total denial of what is true truth, the only place they're going to see it, the only place they're going to see it, is in people who have become little Christs, Christ bearers, and little heavens. So the question for you and me is, when people look at you and me, do they understand that we can be trusted not to use them to satisfy our own desires, whether physical, emotional, financial, even spiritual. Do people understand that we are here for them, not they here for us? When people look at you and me, do they see people who are free from having to manipulate things and show off whatever powers they have? Are, do people look at you and me and see people who are free of hidden agendas? People who don't have to cover their tracks. People who won't send other people to the battle lines hoping they'll get killed to cover their tracks. Instead, when people look at you and me, do they see people whose lives are solidly anchored 
in the great I am, who know what it is to be accompanied by him in the storms of life so that we can accompany people in their storms of life, so we can help them get home. Now, friends, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or even think to ask, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forever. Amen.